0: Thank you guys for tuning into the Champions Mind Podcast. Today I've got special guest James Piccoli, who rides for the Elevate KHS Professional Cycling Team. James, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on, Mario. Yeah.
0: yeah so, so, let's jump right into it, James. Like, how? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Like a little bit about your background. Kind of how you got started in terms of just being physically active and your uh, your introduction into sport.
1: So I've always been a, a, a lover of sport. I've been you know, participating in, in various sports since I could remember. And I grew up in Montreal in Canada. So when you grow up in Montreal, you play hockey. That's the sport you do. So I played hockey for probably 10 or 15 years since I could stand up straight. Um, but I tried pretty much every sport there is to try. I mean, I played soccer, football. Uh, hockey, tennis, golf—pretty much everything there is to do. Just because I loved sport and everything about sport. Um, I started cycling at 12 because um, my dad was into it. Uh, started riding a bike a little bit. Dabbled in racing, though I wasn't very good to begin with. I used to finish last all the time. So it only really lasted uh, one or two years because I was getting frustrated of finishing last place in every race I entered. So I stopped cycling started playing other sports, like I said, tried a little bit of everything. And then at 21, I made my comeback after my retirement into cycling and uh, started starting competing again and, and haven't looked back since.
0: Cool. So at the beginning, it was just more of a, hey, this looks like fun. Let me go do this. Just kind of wanting to be active and wanting to just kind of stay moving and just giving other things a shot.
1: Yeah, of course. It never—I uh, certainly didn't start out thinking I'd be a professional cyclist. I mean, uh, I think even today my goal is to have fun in whatever I do. I mean, that's—it uh, sounds like a silly goal, but I think it's my one of my keys to happiness. So that's the way it started. And in every sport I played, I just wanted to have fun, see if I could find a new activity, hobby that that would be entertaining.
0: Yeah, and what was it like? So, you know, th- this is, this is a story of a lot of us growing up, right? A lot of us, I mean, we weren't like one trick ponies, you know, like, I mean, like you are right now, you know, you're all in on cycling, but you know, when we're growing up, I mean, we're trying different things and, oh, that looks like it's a tr- like, that looks like it's interesting. Oh yeah, that's fun. Oh wow. My friend is doing this or, you know, whatever. Right. And it just draws us to these different sports. Like if you can remember back this far, like what was it that had you go, oh man, hey, look, there, there's football over here. Like, let me let me try, th- oh, man, there's, you know, there's there's hockey over here. Let me try this. Like, what was it that got you just to, to shift from one or the other, from one sport to the other? Or was it just, oh, these are different seasons, and I just want to do something rather than just being at home on the couch? Or kind of what was it that had you kind of hopping around to different stuff?
1: Uh, it's a little bit the season thing. Growing up in Montreal, you, you have two distinct uh, sports seasons, one of which – is winter where everything is covered in snow, so naturally you play winter sports, <laughs> and uh, the other one, of course, being summer sports like soccer, football, stuff. But I've always been just curious. That's really why I tried a whole bunch of sports as a kid. I've just been, I love to learn new skills in sports, and um, so that's really what got me to to try a whole bunch of different stuff to see what I
0: liked. Cool. And let's let's get into cycling now. So you start at twelve. You know, your dad's into it. So, you know, you're there. Hey, might as well pin a number on. Man, this isn't going well. I'm out, right? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm finishing last. This is not good. But then you, you come back at 21 and this, like you said, you, you've retired and you made the comeback at 21. So nine years later, like what what was it that, I mean, did you feel like there was unfinished business? I mean, what was it that kind of got you thinking to yourself, hey, I want to try this thing out again?
1: Well, I think I always liked the the process. Uh, of cycling. So oh, when I say the process, I mean like the actual feelings associated with just training and riding, just like being out on the open road and using your bike to explore and seeing, you know, the scenery and being sort of at peace in nature and, and all all the 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 basics of it of the process. Um what I didn't like at 12 were the results. <laughs> so so I stopped racing but I, I still had a love for like riding my bike like I, I never stopped riding my bike I stopped taking taking it seriously in other words like I stopped training with the express intent of doing well in racing just because racing wasn't going well but I never fell out of love with riding when I made my comeback, I figured I won't take it too seriously i'll I'll just ride because I enjoyed riding and we'll see if I can't start doing racing again
0: yeah man. That's cool. Like right there at, at 21, you kind of experienced, I guess, maybe like your first like mindset kind of shift. Right. Like at, at the age of 12, you kind of were putting a little bit too much skin in the game. Right. You're thinking to yourself like this is results. Right. Like this is what you know, if I'm not getting these places, if I'm not doing this well, like I'm out, you know. And then here you are like nine years later, you come back and realize like, hey, man, this is fun. Like, let me just go do this, right? Like, I took for granted the open road. I took for granted the scenery. I took for granted, like, the process of just pedaling and, and going places on my bike. Like, I put all that on the back burner at 12 to look for results. And then you come back at 21 and you kind of look at it a little bit differently and, and your perspective is a little bit different. And, you know, now you're on the podcast as a professional cyclist, right? With that, <laughs> with that new mindset. And we'll talk a little bit in a second here. Like, the results are are there, right? But it's different. Like, we're not doing the whole, this is what I'm looking for or I'm out. It's kind of different, wouldn't you say?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I've really come to appreciate. Like, I couldn't intellectualize it then, but having been a full-time writer for a little while now, it's something that I've really felt has made a huge impact on my racing. It's just the mindset of enjoying the process, the mindset of having fun. Like it sounds childish and it sounds, you know, not professional to say, I just love to go out and mess around on my bike sometimes, but that's what it is. And that for me has been the key to getting the most out of myself is still having fun and keeping in touch with the reason that I love cycling, which is just, going out and messing around on my bike like a kid does you know yeah, and with yeah. with that has have come the best results with that mindset
0: absolutely man i mean it, it is childish right like that's that's exactly what it is i mean you couldn't use a better word to describe it like it is childish but if we think to ourselves who has more fun than a kid like <laughs> who's who's enjoying life more than than a kid man like they're just you know they love it they love everything about it you know and so uh yeah that's great so let's talk about so you're 21 you're back in the game, you're doing your thing. When did you, because, I mean, you you said, "Eh, I'm not going to do the structured training thing as much right now. You know, like, when did you start kind of thinking to yourself, hey, I need to be a little bit more focused maybe. I would like to be a little bit more serious and and see if this thing can go a little bit further on. Like, when was it that you started kind of making those adjustments?
1: Um, Started making those adjustments, I'd say, the first Semester I decided to take off from school to sort of train in the winter, right? Because at 21, it was the time that I was in university and being from Montreal, you can't really train in seriously in the winter if you're in, if you're in Montreal because you're going to be doing indoor workouts and stuff. So if you want to invest fully in cycling, you gotta, you gotta go somewhere warm if you want to do real training. So the first time that I decided to do that was really when I sort of went all in, so to speak. You know, like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to the states to somewhere warm to really see where this can go. And that, I believe, was in 2013, the first year I did that.
0: All right. Was it a little bit scary for you? Like, was it a little bit like, oh, man, I'm I'm literally pulling out of school right now to go do this thing? Like, is this going to work out? I mean, is it going to be worth it? Am I going to, am I going to like fail? Are are my parents upset at me? Or are people looking at me thinking, what are you doing trying to do the pro thing? You know, like, you know, you get a lot of that kind of talk, right, from people. Like, what was that experience like when you when you did that and kind of announced basically, through your actions, like, hey, I want to I want to explore this avenue?
1: Uh, I think you nailed it. You nailed exactly every single sentiment that I had at the time. So I left mechanical engineering school, which at the time, is a stable job. It's, you know, something that people were proud of me for going into. It was, you know, something that's, a job that's looked at with a tremendous amount of respect because it's a difficult degree to have and, you know, engineers are seen as smart people, you know, so I was leaving all of that for a total unknown, you know, like a, a career in cycling. Yeah. Which, even at even at the time, I didn't fully understand what that would entail. So, of course, the people in my life were shocked, were I wouldn't say disappointed because I made it clear that this was something that I was passionate about. So, I mean, at the end, everyone who, who all the people in my life who cared about me understood, but it was still, it was still a surprise. I mean, for sure. And like self-doubt was always there. I mean, what if I do this and fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not good enough? What if, you know, all those self-doubts didn't vaporize the second I decided to do it. I mean, and there's still, to an extent, something that I have to deal with every day. But at the time, I mean, like I said, you nailed it. Those were all the things going through my head, and it was, a, it was a total unknown. But somehow, I decided to do it, and it worked out.
0: Yeah. Just digging a little bit deeper on this, did you actually have a plan? Or did you literally just go, you know what, I'm going to drop out of school, I'm just going to get in my car, and I'm going to drive south, and we'll just kind of see where I go? or where, Like, where was it that you landed? Who were some of the folks maybe that that were instrumental in kind of giving you a place to stay or train with? Or, like, I mean, how did that all kind of play out?
1: So I had met someone, uh, an ex-professional, actually, an ex-professional cyclist in Las Vegas. I had gone there on a vacation once to ride with my dad. And I met this guy, and he said, listen, if you're ever, his name is Roberto Pascani, ex-professional in Italy. He said, listen, if you're ever looking for a place to train, you know, come and let me know and you can stay with me. So that's, in 2013, when I decided to go all in, so to speak, that's where I ended up at his place, living and training with him. And and at the time, you know, still, even though I knew someone who had done it in the past, like, I didn't have a path, really. Like, I didn't, I had half a plan. (laughs) You know, I was going to see if the semester I took off produced results in the summer, and if I could justify Continuing on the path, you know, that I was on. But I mean, it was still a huge gamble for sure.
0: Man, I love this. Okay. So, for those folks that are listening, you guys know that sometimes I like to kind of push pause and I like to make sure that you get what our guest is saying here. I mean, he said what I was going to say, which is like, let's pretty much maybe make sure we've got enough gas in the car to get me down there. Like, I know this guy lives at this address. Like, I hope he's there. Right. Like, there was no clear, like, Okay, I'm gonna get there, and then I'm in Vegas, and then like, and then what? Oh, okay, and then I, okay, it's Monday, so I ride my bike, and then what? And you just basically take it as it comes. You know, I, I one of the big things for me is just listening to people's stories. Hey, guys, like they weren't handed a manual saying, here, do A, B, C, D, and then E is you're successful and you're a pro at whatever it is you want. It's hey, I think this might be step A like try it. And if not, then maybe we'll kind of figure something else out along the way. But there's no clear path. Like there's no clear journey. And it's just so cool listening to people's stories because here you've got James, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to need this guy. Right. But I met him in Vegas, you know, vacationing with my dad. And lo and behold, like, you know, a a short time later, like, hey, dude, I need I do need to stay at your place. Like I'm going to do this thing. Right. Uh, I dropped out of school and I'm coming down to train, you know, where it's warmer to see if this thing works out for me. So just For those of us that are looking to be successful at something, we've got to understand that there is no definitive manual as to this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to get. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of pivoting, as I like to say, where you've got to like figure things out and just kind of go with the flow and take things as they come. So yeah, so James, you waited, you you said, hey, I'm going to do a summer trial to see if this thing's working out and how'd that summer go?
1: That summer went obviously well enough that I considered to like I thought it was a good idea to continue because I did that being said, it's not like I had a a defined goal you know I need to do x well at x race if I want to continue but at the end of the at the end of that year, I did get an offer to ride professionally in Italy, so I obviously pounced on that opportunity and uh haven't looked back since but I have to say. Obviously I totally agree with what you just said that there's no manual and plan. And coming to terms with that has been like a huge growing experience for me. And now my mindset is would you even want one? That yeah. would take all the that would take all the fun out of life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it sours things down because you know what I like to say is everybody's got a story worth telling, right? And so James, your journey to where you are right now is is like nobody else's that has ever lived, right? And so, yeah, think about it. How boring would it be if I'm looking at, you know, pro Joe over here and I go, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do it exactly the way he did it. Let let me just let he's already done the life thing and done this. Let me be exactly like him. Right. Let me eat the same breakfast and let me do the same training and let me live in the same place and let me drive the same car. And no, like that's not fun. Right. So I agree with you that, you know, the excitement is, hey, here's this puzzle. Right. At the end of this puzzle is a professional cyclist. Okay, here are your pieces. All right, you put them together. How how do you want to put them together? And you make a puzzle out of that, right? And uh, I agree with you completely. Let me, I got this question though. This is an interesting question. I don't know if you have an answer for it straight away. You might have to think about it a little bit. Let me ask you this. You had a trial period in the summer where you said, hey, you know what? I'm either going to keep going or I'm going to scale this thing back. Do you think that, it could have gone the other way to where you would have walked out? Or do you feel like you were tractor-beamed in at this point, and you were like, man, I'm having a great time doing this. I don't know that I'm going to stop regardless.
1: That's a good question, and the honest answer is I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what it would have been like if that summer was a failure, for example. You know, Looking back at my cycling career, there that was a period where I had success relative to what my expectations were. But there, there have also been periods where I have, I've had failures uh, in relationship to my expectations and I've kept going. So I couldn't tell you if at that point in my life, if what I defined a success or failure would have changed, whether I kept going. I can't, that's, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I'm asking is because, you know, like when we set goals, right, and we're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And when we've got this belief that we're going to do this thing, like it's going to happen, Right. Then all of a sudden you hit a little bump in the road and you go, oh, yeah, that, that's just that's just part of it. Like, that's just something that has to happen in order for me to get to where I'm going. And you dismiss it like you take, quote unquote, failure and say, yeah, that that's that's part of it, man. Like, that's something that that is necessary for me to get to where I'm going. So, you know, the reason why I asked you that question was because, you know, maybe and it didn't happen to you. So, again, that's that's probably why you don't have an answer if, it, you know, you didn't have the experience. But, you know, the summer doesn't go well and you go, huh. Yeah. So, okay. So it's not going to be that easy. All right, cool. Like this is just a a bump in the road. Like I'm still going, you know, this is just something that was probably necessary for me to get to where I need to go. And so, yeah, just, you know, when you find people that are motivated, when you find people that are, that are super focused, right? Like this is generally the kind of talk that you get from them is really nothing's going to knock them off that horse. You know, they're just going to keep moving towards that goal again, with no definitive path, they're going to think that everything is part of the path.
1: Of course. I mean, I, I found lessons in my greatest failures. I mean, that's what I think is an important way to look at it is that your definition of success and failure um, is really dependent on you and how you view a failure can be, if you view it as a growing experience, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for that. And each one of my failures, I've tried to sit back and, and look at what happened and see if there were lessons to learn from them and that appreciating that and that sort of mind shift from viewing failure as a as a lack of success and viewing failure as a lesson instead um, has been huge has been definitely huge and i still fail today i mean all the time there's no such thing as a perfect athlete there's no such thing as a perfect person but in in each one of my failures i've tried to draw a lesson from and i think that's made me a a better athlete and person
0: today Dude, I love it. I love it. Like, yeah, so failure is an event. It it's something that happened and it's up to that individual, it's up to that human being to look at that event and give it meaning. Like, is it is it thumbs up or is it thumbs down? Like is it is it learning or is it no, like I, I can't learn from this. Like this is this is who I am. Like, man, brilliant. Like the meaning is given to the power, I'm gonna say given to failure is is given we give it to it, failure right so we're the ones that assign that meaning to failure so man if you can look at failure the right way then it, it's actually a tool to improve you versus what most folks think it is which is something that somehow shows something about your dna that shows you why you aren't you know, destined to be successful or why success isn't in the cards for you. So, man, spot on. I love it. So, all right, James. So you get the contract with the Italian team. So I'm assuming that at this point you relocate.
1: I do. I relocate to Lucca in Tuscany. So it's my first, first ever real experience living abroad. Um, I had been abroad, but never lived, I'd say. And it was in a foreign country that, I didn't speak the language so well. So, of course, there's, with that whole jump, there's a whole lot of uncertainty. You know, am I going to be able to speak with people? Am I going to like life there? You know, I don't know anything about life in Italy. So that was another jump into the deep end, uh, so to speak. But uh, it was an experience that I learned and grew a lot from. And, of course, I don't regret.
0: Yeah. And so going over there, again, a whole, yeah, I mean, man, you talk about, now you're not only saying, okay, like I'm here to do the training thing and, and race my bike, like what you've been doing for, you know, a little while now. Now on top of that, you've got this thing called life on the peripheral, right? Which is going to get groceries, trying to communicate with people, finding a place to live. Like how how do people drive around here, right? Just little things that a lot of us take for granted and all of that just gets piled on top of, oh, yeah, and I'm also supposed to be doing, like, 20 to 25 hours a week on the bike. And, you know, I've got these races also that, you know, I'm I'm wanting to perform well at. And so how did you handle all of that? Like, what was the way that James Piccoli kind of wrapped his mind around all of this and was able to, like, survive and exist, right, and thrive?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was difficult, for sure. It's, I think you you nailed it when you said, You know, at that point in my cycling career, already I was dealing with an increase in training and racing and and worrying about on the cycling side, everything I'd have to do to to continue improving. And then add to that, that this is a brand new country, you know, like, and everything that that goes along with like a colossal life shift. Forget just career shift, but like everything. So again, I, I found comfort in the process of what I enjoyed. I found comfort in just like getting out on my bike and exploring roads and and there was a lot of comforting feelings that I kept even though I was in a new place and, you know, I was still doing what I enjoyed doing and what I had done for a while, you know, which was riding. So in that I found a tremendous amount of comfort and everything else sort of figured itself out. I mean, like you said, there's no manual, but you learn whether it's a language or the culture, you, you figure it out and you get through it.
0: Yeah. And so on that team, and then, and then what? Like, so your contract on that team runs out and you come back or what was the...
1: Yeah, yeah, so actually, funnily enough, I consider that year a failure in terms of results versus the expectations I had. So that year was a failure. But again, there was a lot of life experiences that I gleaned from that year in sport and out of sport. And after 2014, I came back to Canada to race professionally on a team called H&R Block with a whole bunch of new life experiences. And in 2015, I had another year that I would consider to be a failure and ended up on an amateur team in 2016.
0: Okay. And let me ask you this. So, you know, let's rewind the tape all the way back to I'm going to take a semester off college. I'm going to go down to Vegas. I'm going to live with this ex-Italian pro. Okay, we're going to do the training thing. Like, what do I expect out of this? Nah, you know, I I mean, let's just see. Let's just go to the, let's get to the summertime and see how this thing works out. And then, oh, boom. Okay, wow, cool. Hey, it, it went okay. Man, I get a contract to an Italian team. Wow, let's move to Italy, right? So, like, there are these tangible, like, now there's this tangible, like, hey, hey, James, like, newsflash, like, you're actually pretty good how did that influence your mindset? Like all of a sudden, because here's the thing about pressure. This is my personal belief. I don't, I believe that pressure is not derived from external things. I believe it's the actual individual that puts pressure on themselves, right? So as you're moving up the food chain, I guess, for lack of a better term, did you feel yourself, or maybe looking back on it now, did you feel yourself kind of turning up the dial a little bit on like the amount of pressure that you would put on yourself saying, all right, we're not in Vegas anymore, right? Like this is, we're in Italy racing bikes and, you know, we came back and we're racing for H&R Block. Like we need to turn that dial up a little bit because now, you know, there's people that are looking at you and there's maybe people that are paying you. And so there's this little bit of a heightened expectation and you need to get on the same page as them. Like, did you feel any of that coming on?
1: Of course. The pressure was was a huge part of like cycling during that time. And for me, the pressure was constant and tangible improvement, because in cycling, there's this curve, let's say, that, that teams will look at in terms of your career as a bike racer, and they judge your potential based on your improvement over the last couple of years, races, whatever. So they see, they look at X results over X period of time, and you're expected to have a relatively constant upward trending slope of results and power and stuff like that. So that's the pressure I put on myself to show tangible improvement every time I go on the bike. But in reality, that's not the way it worked. And I don't think that's the way it works for any athlete. There's ups and downs everywhere on the curve uh, in terms of race results, fitness, uh, everything that you can quantify as an athlete. I mean, there's no such thing as steady, constant improvement. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that I should expect downs in fitness and racing and luck and everything. So that's where a lot of the pressure I, and I was totally self-imposed. All the pressure I felt was for, okay, if I want to continue to do this, I need to show that I'm going to get better. Like I can't be here forever. You know, I got to keep improving, I got to keep getting better race results. And eventually, you know, because every, every cyclist's goal is to make it to the biggest races in the world. And to do that, you need to, constantly be improving you know it's never enough and that's where a lot of my pressure
0: was for sure all right i may have to edit this part out no i'm just kidding so wait a minute (laughs) james what you're wait a minute what you're telling me is um thankfully i'm sitting down what you're telling me is is that like even when i think i figured out the combination to the lock and i open it like this isn't a oh yeah, man, every day is just a great day. Like every day, my power goes up. Like every race, my results get better. Like, you know, every day I feel healthy and I get a good night's sleep. And I mean, all of these other things, right? What What you're telling me is, is, hey, you may have a process in place, but like one plus one doesn't always equal two. Like sometimes it may equal four, which is a good day, but sometimes one plus one equals negative six, which is a bad day. Like, that is so counterculture, right? I mean, we think to ourselves, oh man, he's, he's on it, man. This guy, James got the game. He's got the game figured out, man. That guy will not put a hair out of place, right? He's every time he walks, man, he puts his foot in the right spot.
1: Oh, this is totally not a movie montage. Totally not. This is real life.
0: Yeah. 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 It's not Instagram, right? It's not, you know, gosh, I mean, I don't know why I'm thinking about him, but it's not like, you know, Chris Froome taking a picture with the lion, right? All the time. It's like, no, there's other stuff that happens in there that, you know, like, hey guys, this is real, right? Like this, this actually is not as clear cut of, again, clear cut of a path as folks would think it would be, right? So James, getting back to your story here. So you come back over from Italy, you race for h Block, which is a pro team, but then you quote unquote get demoted To an amateur team, and you're telling me that you're basically categorizing these seasons into the failure category. So, but the story keeps going, right? So, like, what transpired after that? Like, what was your mindset like? Let's go there. What was your mindset like? Now you've had a couple bad years in a row, right? And, you know, according to your standards and your expectations. So, what are you thinking at this point?
1: Of course, I'm constantly reevaluating whether professional cycling is something I can do as a career because now I've had two seasons where in my eyes, I haven't been improving. I've been, you know, getting worse, you know, for lack of a better term in terms of my expectations of results. It's not like I was getting less fit or less good at racing, you know, but that was tough for sure. I mean, that's when I said there, there have been setbacks, you know, this is not a, a clear cut upward trending curve all the time. I've had points where, like in 2016, and early 2017, where I considered, you know, maybe this is not what I'm going to do. You know, maybe I can't do this. Maybe it's not meant to be. But I always love the process. And at the core of it, I think the reason why I've always kept going is because I physically enjoy, at a very basic level, the, the process of cycling. I love the training. I love riding my bike and that's the only reason why i've continued when the external you know parameters of success or or salary or whatever weren't going as well as i'd liked.
0: let me ask you this james because now we can look back on this from where from where we are right we're at a different vantage point if we look back on those seasons where you're looking at the external parameters And you're thinking to yourself, man, I I don't think I'm improving. Looking back on it now, it's kind of one of those things where you look at me right now and I mean, I'm not growing very much these days in terms of my height, but there's growth going on inside of me that you can't see. Would you say that even those years right there where, man, results just aren't, I'm just not putting it together, like the training maybe isn't going the way that I want it to, there was still growth happening inside of you that maybe you didn't recognize back then, but now you're looking back on it going, man, those things right there helped me be, you know, the James Pecoli that I am today.
1: 100%. 100% that at the time, I didn't realize the way I was growing. Because like I said, I always expected to have this constant upward curve of like physical performance, but... Those were the times where, like, I was training my mind for, like, setbacks, you know, and, and learning to be an athlete mentally. You know, and at the time, I didn't appreciate the full value of, like, being a tough son of a gun and, and keeping going when it's not sunshine and roses. And today, a lot of my skill set that I think that I have as an athlete are all mental Tools and skills that I learned in that time and that I didn't even know I was learning, but I needed, I needed a couple bad years. I needed a couple rough times to, you know, for that training. You know, I I see it just like you would train your body, you know, like it's not like you get better without going through, you know, a tough training day. And I, I think that period in my cycling career did the same thing for my my mental skills and my mental toughness. And today I appreciate how much it's helped me. And of course I would never change those years as failures that I got, that I had never changed them. Yeah. They made me the athlete I am today.
0: So now let's go 2016. Let's go 2017. I mean, what happens after that amateur team?
1: What happens after that amateur team is that I get a, an offer to ride professionally again on a team in Australia. I signed a contract there. Um, looking for apartments, so on and so forth. And in late December, uh, I get a text message from the director of the team saying, "Uh, turns out there's not going to be a team next year. We have no money. Our sponsor pulled out. So at that point, it's like it was a, a, that was probably the closest I've come to to saying, okay, you know, maybe it's just not meant to be. Because at that point I had, I was back at what felt like square one, you know, Not even, because at that point in the season, all professional and amateur teams have sort of filled up already. So it's like, not only do I not have a professional team, I have nothing. I have no team. How am I even going to race? So that was for sure, definitely the, the lowest low in terms of my second career, for
0: sure. So here you are, like you've invested time and energy into like even setting up a place out there and kind of trying to get ready to pack up and move on out again. And then the, the team's out, right? you got to love professional cycling and budgets, but the team's out. So now what? You don't have a team. So, what? I mean, what happened after that?
1: So now I don't have a team, and I decide, intelligently or not, that I'm going to give it one last shot. And I say that I'm going to go back to Vegas with that ex-professional, Roberto, who I originally stayed with, and I'm going to train there in the winter. And I'm going to see if I can't find a way to get out to some races, and see if I can't, you know, claw my way back. Uh, but with no, at the time, nothing. I had no prospects, no, no path, no anything. I just, you know, I decided to give it one last shot.
0: Hey, if we go back to that question that I asked you at the beginning, that you told me you didn't have an answer for. Yeah. I think we have. I think we have the answer now. <laughs> when I asked you, hey, if that summer wouldn't have went well, I mean, would you have kept going? I mean, look at you now. I mean. <laughs> You, 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 the the team in Australia folds, you go back to Vegas where it all started and you're riding your bike and you're right back to where you were at the beginning of your journey. You don't have a team. You don't know what's going on. I mean, this is like nostalgic almost. Like we've gone full circle. We're back to the James that took a semester off of college, like again, but you didn't accept you know, again, people be like, well, there were, James, there were signs, you know, there were things that, I mean, you know, God or the earth or something was trying to talk to you saying, hey, dude, it's not for you. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, and you not sure. get the hint. <laughs> but I mean, look at it. And, and then, uh, you know, I introduce you as a, as a pro cyclist. So you made it, you're here, but you didn't, you didn't lie down. So James, you're training in Vegas, and you're doing it because you love the process, obviously. You have no idea how this story ends because you're not a fortune teller, right? And so what, I don't know, so, I mean, somebody picked you up, or you got invited to a race, or what happened?
1: So I was training in Vegas, and like I said, Roberto was an ex-professional athlete and still current cyclist. So he just happened to be at a at a bike shop one day like picking up a helmet, like a new helmet. And he got to talking with this guy who was also picking up helmets for his team. And they got to talking and Roberto said, uh, listen, I got this like rider staying with me. He's from Canada. He's a really good racer. You know, you should give him a call. And, uh, Rick, the guy who was, who was running the team is like, Oh yeah. Like I haven't heard this before, you know? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'm sure he's a really good rider. Here's my card anyway. Like, Tell him to give me a call, you know, probably half seriously. And uh, I gave him a call, and we we met for coffee. And two days later, I was at team training camp in San Diego.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, just by coincidence, you know. And and we got to the – that was team PPB cycling. And we got to the, the races that we needed to get to in the early season, the big races. We got into them all. And from there, I got the call from Paul at – Ss
0: yeah but hold on a second because you're skipping over something and I'm not and I'm not gonna let you skip over it yeah what happened at Redlands so hold on for for those of you listening Redlands is this really big race in California it's kind of like the first I would say it's the first like everybody comes out of their winter shell and let's all get in spandex and let's see who's been training and like everybody's fired up and everybody's ready to go because we haven't raced our bikes in such a long time that this is going to be like a battle royale, right? So that's the Redlands Classic over in California, and so you guys got invited out there with this team, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And what what happened out there? How'd it go for you?
1: Well, the, the first couple of days were, they went awesome uh, enough that like, a lot of people were asking, "Who is this amateur?" You know, because because I was on an amateur I was at the amateur team at the time, and I was posting up results that. Didn't really make any sense for a, for a new amateur, you know. So I was getting a lot of questions. Uh, people who didn't really know who I was saying, you know, what's what's up? Like, like where where did you come from overnight, you know? <laughs> and then actually, so I was in, I was in fifth overall going into the last day, and I got a mechanical that knocked me out of the race. Um, so again, like close, but no cigar, you know. But with, with that one, I had sort of proved, even if the end result wasn't there, I had sort of proved that I was back at that level, you know, and I think uh, when Paul at Elevate first decided to give me a call, it's, you know, he he saw, I uh, hesitate to say potential, but he saw that, that I was there again and that I was sort of the real deal.
0: Yeah, well... I'm part of the elevate KHS. I'm on the, I'm on the club team. I'm not on the UCI professional team that James and some of these other guys ride for, but I remember kind of a little bit of the, uh, there was a little bit of excitement, you know, cause I, I want to see elevate KHS do well. And so I'm invested in watching these guys do, do well and be successful. And there was a little bit of a buzz. They were like, Hey man, we, we brought this guy on. His name's James Ficoli. He's from Canada. And, um, man, I think that we think this guy is going to be going to be pretty special for us, you know. And I said, okay, cool, man. That that sounds great. You know, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing him in races and such. And there was another professional. His name's Tim Rugg. And I remember on Twitter, he said something to the effect of it's about time that like somebody recognizes this guy, James, because like he's the real deal, like he can he can do really well for you in the pro ranks. And so, you know, we we bring him on at LAKHS, and that kind of starts going. And then, James, you're not on the team very long before you guys are getting ready to do some big races, right? So tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so when Paul originally called me, he said, look, we're looking to bring someone on for um, these two races we just got into called Tour of Utah and Tour of Colorado. And, of course, at the time, I knew what both of those races were. And that's like those are the big leagues, like that's that's the real deal. That's real cycling. So I sort of didn't believe him at first. I'm like, are you sure you got into those races? Like, you know, those are those races are a big deal. You know, like those this is this is world class now. He said, yeah, yeah, we're, no, we're for real. We're they just haven't announced it yet, but we're we're in the races. We're in. So I said I said, okay, man, you know, <laughs> let's do it. You know, sort of sort of half believing him. So we. Of course, they announced that we, we actually are going and I go straight to an altitude camp to prepare for both of those races because they're both at altitude. And I meet all the guys and, and we're living and training together for almost a month beforehand. And like the, the spirit of the team and, and the guys and the staff and everyone were just so welcoming that I was like instantly, instantly at home and back to having fun again. And I think that is probably the reason why we probably shocked so many people at Utah with like the the team results was that we were all just having fun together and everyone was supportive of each other and all the staff were amazing and the riders were all friends, you know, off the bike. And that showed in the way we rode way out of our league in Utah, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, James, I'm going to stop you right there because I I was so I did an interview with uh, with Brad Huff and we talked about this same thing because the same thing happened with uh, Team Rally over at the Tour of California when, you know, some of these riders, uh, I believe it was Seth Coos who's riding for, you know, Pro Tour now and um, Evan Huffman just kept making the break every day at Tour of California and I'm hearing the commentators say, Oh, look at look at this rally team, you know, wow, they are just way they're punching way above their weight. And, you know, they're just and yeah, I mean, watching the tour of Utah, there was a little bit of that going on when they would talk about elevate, and I'm like raising my hand, you know, in front of the television going, Hey, no, like, not punching up their above their weight, not like, you know, showing, you know, out of their league. Like, this is If they put in the work, which I know what you guys did at your altitude camps, like you guys wrote a ton and you guys were meticulous about your preparation. Like, I don't think so. Right. Like maybe some of you guys were surprised because you're sitting in front of a TV and you don't know who these guys are. Like nobody know who James Piccoli was getting fifth and, you know, being fifth on GC before the last day at Redlands. But maybe you should have known. Right. Like, so it's. when when people say that, I'm like, man, but if you've done the work and if you've done the preparation and if you've got a good vibe going with your team and you guys are gelling well and you guys know what you're capable of in terms of your abilities, like, you know, that whole, hey, man, we we totally showed out and, you know, I don't think so because here's the deal. This next year when you guys go to Utah, you think them dudes are going to, you think them dudes are just going to let you have wheels like they did this year maybe? Like, I don't think so, right? Like, we know what these guys can do. Like, this is, no, I don't, I don't think so. We're, fool me once, but not twice, right? So, but James, tour of Utah, man. Like, I actually wasn't sitting in front of the television. I was on my feet in front of the television, you know, throwing soft objects at the television because I didn't want to break the screen. Take us to stage three of the tour of Utah. Just take us there, man. I want to hear this from your perspective. I've never heard it from your perspective.
1: So that's the the first mountaintop day, right? Yes. Yeah. So obviously we had done tons of preparation for the tour of Utah the month before at altitude camp. So we knew exactly what that stage would be. Uh, we had ridden the the course and everything. And we have these for for people who don't necessarily know about racing and cycling. We have like power meters that tell us within a relative degree of accuracy, how sort of fit we are. So I knew I was good and I knew we knew the course, but you never really know how good and how well, you know, the course until you're at the race, you know? So we do the stage, we're riding the stage and I'm, I'm feeling relatively good all day. And the team is supporting me a hundred percent, but there's still a modicum of doubt, you know, that, Oh, maybe when it gets hard, I won't be good enough. And then we get until, we get at, let's say, 3K to go, uh, 3K to go on the stage. And I'm still feeling like, you know, oh maybe I'm, like, good enough to be here. You know, maybe maybe I really am this good. And then it comes to 1K to go. And granted, I've never done this in a, in a race of this level. So it's, this is all new to me. I said, why not? Let's do it. So I attack the health on of riders that I've been watching on TV you know, for years and I decided to go all in. And it almost worked. (laughs) Almost. It was very close. But I ended up finishing third. I got caught right on the line by two very good cyclists. But that moment right there when I said, like, I believe that maybe I can do this, that was like a real defining moment in my career as an athlete. Because that's when the first time I really believed that maybe I am world-class, you know, and that was, that was, that was big, even though I didn't win. I didn't really need to win. I just sort of need to believe in, in myself enough. And that's when it happened. You saw it on TV. I
0: did. I saw it and I'm, and I'm still fired up right now. I saw it, but... I'm not gonna let you off the hook that that quick. Yeah. We're gonna talk about this a little bit. All right, so you're there and you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe this. All right, this is cool. You know, man, look, look around me. I mean, look who I've got around me. By the way, he says two good cyclists. Like, let's let's not kid ourselves. I mean, who were the two guys, man? Who'd you get? Who'd you get third place to? Brent Bookwalter and who else?
1: And Seth Koush, who both are on World Tour teams now.
0: Yeah, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so they're two really good cyclists. But but James, let's get back to you. Like, so you get to the point where you're like, dude. I'm going to pull the trigger right now. Like, nobody wants this. I remember it was like everybody was climbing and kind of looking around, you know, like that's a moment where you're thinking, dude, the big wigs, right? Like guys like Bookwalter and Sepp Coos, like they'll just look at you and you just, you sit, right? You sit down, you you stay where you are, right? Like these guys are the guys, they're the capos, they're the ones controlling everything. Like, don't you dare, you know? Yeah. And then you get this guy. Right. You get James on this small team, smallest budget, probably out of all the teams. And you get him going. Oh, no, I don't think so. Like, I, I'm not playing by that rule book. Let's go. Right. So you decide to go at that point. Were you like, man, I'm willing to risk it all right now for this moment. I mean, what was what was going through your head right there? Like, I don't even know if I'm going to get to the finish, but we're going to find out type of thing. Like, what was your mindset there?
1: Oh, that's, that's exactly what it was. It's You know, at that level in that race, for example, like you said, there's, there's like these huge budget teams and there's like these smaller budget teams. And like the, what happens is that there's a natural sort of pecking order, you know? And like you said, it's often the, the little teams are like intimidated and it's very easy to be intimidated by guys who race the Tour de France or, right? you know, who have big budgets and drive fancy cars and stuff, you know? But at that point, it's just like, at that point, I remember thinking they got two legs just like me. They got to hurt if they want to catch me now. I'm going to go. And that's what I did. And I went 50 meters too
0: early. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so the let, let's run through the emotions from that point where you attacked to crossing the finish line. Like, was it, I mean, oh, man, what what was it a constant tug of war? Like, I think I might make it. Oh, I'm going to make it. Oh, how's this going to, no, oh, my God, they're coming. I mean, what was it, what was going through your head?
1: It was definitely, for most of it, total disbelief. They're like, wow, this is really happening. Like, I'm really, at that point, like, like, there was still one or two percent of me that's like, it's not gonna work. You know, like, you're not, you're not this good. You know, like, these guys are better than you. So, every time I look back, and you can see it on camera, it's actually embarrassing the amount of times I look over my shoulder to check that this is indeed actually happening. But every time it's like, oh wow, I'm still, I'm still here. Shit. I'm still oh I, maybe I can make it, and then it turns out in the last you know whatever 50 meters I get caught, but the whole time it's just like wow, it was sort of like unexpected in a really like good way, and and to say I'm disappointed is not really like I'm not disappointed at that day, like I'm I'm thrilled with that result, and I'm thrilled that more than anything I had the the guts to do it, you know, and and show that. I'm close, you know, whether or not I should have won, you know, like, it's okay. You don't always win, but, but it was just a, a defining moment that I was brave enough to sort of
0: go for it. Yeah. To be standing on the podium with those guys, like you said, it was a defining moment for you. It wasn't, it wasn't about getting third. It wasn't about who was in front of you. It wasn't about who was behind you. Like it was a very personal thing, right? it was something that was very very much so for you more than anybody else. James, you you're on you're on off season right now, which is kind of why it's uh why it's easy to get a hold of you right now and get you for this podcast interview, right? But not too long ago, you actually went across the pond again and you went to go race in New Zealand, New Zealand on a uh on a composite team and that turned out to go pretty well for you as well. So can you talk to to us a little bit about uh the tour of the Southland?
1: Yeah, so our uh, one of our directors of Elevate KHS is from New Zealand. So he had told me about this race that was based in the area where he's from, um, called Southland. And he's like, it's a great race. You know, you should come down. It's a really hard race to win. But, you know, I believe in you, and I think you can do it. And, um, you know, you should come down. I'm I'm sort of working for this composite team that's down there and I know you know the sponsors and the guys and I'm sure they'd love to have you and you should really you know think about doing it and it's also a beautiful country. Uh so I said, "You know what? Sure, you know. At this point I'm you know, we've been traveling and racing a lot, but you know, you don't turn down a a chance to go to New Zealand, uh, especially when when people were telling you how beautiful it was down there." So I said, "You know what? Let's do it." I'm not totally sure how how the race will go because A I've never raced in New Zealand before and B I'd actually taken a week off when I got my flight so I'm like you know but Keith believes in me and regardless it's gonna be an awesome life experience so let's let's go down and I ended up winning <laughs> I ended up winning
0: so what was you won the GC but what was you won a stage and that's what set you up to win the GC Right. Because I'm following this stuff on Cycling News. I knew I had a guy out there from Elevate and I'm like, all right, I'm going to check this thing out. So I'm following the, the Cycling News feed there. And here it is. Poccoli wins. You know, you won, a, you won like a mountaintop stage, right? Like a climbing stage?
1: I did. Yeah. It's a bluff Hill.
0: And, and you won it solo, got a little bit of a gap and that was enough, huh?
1: Actually, at that point, I was second on GC. you after that I win because I had lost a little bit of time the day before. Um But I, I ended up winning the GC the day after in what was a pretty, like, exciting race move. Again, like a, another gamble where I bridged across alone to a breakaway um that the yellow jersey wasn't in. So, in other words, I was gaining time on on the yellow jersey, the guy ahead of me on GC, but but not on the five breakaway guys. And that gamble was actually what set up the, the GC win. So, it was an, another instance of... Ooh, I don't know if this is going to work, but, yeah, what do I got to lose?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people ask me if I play golf, and I say, no, I don't play golf, but I'll participate, right? So I'll go out there, and, you know, this is the analogy that I think fits perfectly to pretty much anybody who's kind of had moments like this and has this kind of mindset like what you're describing. It's like everybody dreads playing golf until they hit that perfect shot, and then they're like, oh, yeah, so, hey, when are we going to play again? Right? <laughs> it's, I mean – you do the you you did the thing at, at tour Utah where you you rolled the dice and it was exhilarating for you and you learned and it didn't work out but it, but hey it almost did like it was I was closer than if I wouldn't have done it and so all of a sudden you know this is this is my belief like this is what I tell the athletes that I partner with like you need to be careful with that person that's the most dangerous guy in the peloton right there because let me tell you something nothing is off the table that guy will do anything right like they'll do anything. I mean, oh yeah, no, it's this is not the right place to attack. Well, tell that person that that has a mindset that says, "Hey, you know what? Let's try it. Who knows? Who cares? I'm not I'm not afraid of failure. I'm not afraid of this not working out. We're going to find out one way or another because I'm going to do it." And lo and behold, <laughs> you rip a page out of the manual and say, "Yeah, I know this isn't cycling 101, but I'm going to bridge across to that move and you can clearly see me going because it's only a one-man bridge. And then you get there, and then it works out, right? And it's like, well, we didn't see that one coming. But again, with somebody who has that kind of mindset, you really don't see a lot of things they do coming, and that's what makes them so dangerous because they really, honestly, they don't care, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I've failed before, and I'm, I, all those failures have made it so that I'm not scared to fail anymore. And I think that's that mindset that you're talking about. It's, it's being afraid of failure. So many guys, regardless of how good they are, and in the Peloton, are afraid to do that because ninety percent of the time they're going to fail. So they're they're afraid to put themselves out there and and take a risk. But but I'm not anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. that brings me back to this, and then we'll and then we'll leave it and move on. That brings me back to I wonder how many guys in that same group that you were in in that stage in the Tour of Utah. I wonder how many guys were looking to do the same thing you did, and after you did it, they cross the line going, man, I should have done that right like that that's usually how it goes it's usually like hey i was kind of thinking about doing the same thing but ah oh man I, I didn't i should have right yeah. and those are the things you can't have back and and you pile those up enough and you you run out of career right for sure so cool man so now you're hey so exciting news uh you know james uh ha- has been signed back on to elevate khs for uh 2018 so he will be back and excited to see what he and the team are going to do. They've got a pretty challenging calendar that they're going to take on and, and raise that level up a little bit more than they did last year and look to improve, and team chemistry's there and everything. So, James, before I let you go, man, uh, I want you to take this time to kind of let us know where we can find out some more about you, about your team about the going-ons of y'all's racing and such?
1: Well, the team does a great job with social media, so uh, you can follow the team, Elevate KHS, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, all of our news is at com. Personally, I have a I have an Instagram account, James Ficoli, that uh, it's not all cycling. It's a little bit of a mix between cycling and, and just me as a person, uh, so people are more than welcome to follow them. Follow that and see my goings on, but uh we're we're definitely super excited about twenty eighteen and the team has some really ambitious goals, which is motivating and i'm I'm excited about them so uh I'm looking forward to to twenty
0: eighteen it's gonna be an awesome year and by the way, jump onto James's Instagram account. he's not lying when he's talking about how beautiful New Zealand is, yeah, absolutely beautiful country, so jump on there if you want to get a little bit of a scoop on that and get the bug to go out there because Man, those are some really nice pictures you took out there. And it looks like you had a great time after that race. We did. We did. Awesome. Well, I was going to end it there, but I do want to do one more thing. James, there are people that have been with you through thick and thin, and I want to make sure that you get to you know, express your gratitude to them for coming along this journey with you and continuing to partner with you. So who would some of those folks be?
1: Uh, since day one, there are very few, and that's uh, my parents' My sister and Roberto. So there's there's not that many <laughs> that have been here since the beginning. You know that's one thing um, for every system and the people who have supported me and that I've, I've been lucky enough to have throughout my entire life. And I recognize that not every person has that. So, I'm, but they they already know. <laughs> I don't need to tell them. Um, more recently, Rick at PBB and Paul at Elevate obviously were brought me back from the dead in terms of uh, a cycling career. So that I uh, definitely have to thank both of them. Um, and yeah.
0: That's, awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, James, you weren't dead. Man. Here's <laughs> the deal: You just, you had some, you had some smoldered embers, you know, underneath and we just had to blow a little bit of wind on there, but that's usually how it goes. That's it, that's you it. know, the embers are always going, but you know, every once in a while they get smothered a little bit and then we've got to blow, you know, we've got to blow some of that ash off of them and, Oh, there they are. Okay, cool. But, Man, thank, hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, man, we look forward to following you in 2018 and the rest of the Elevate KHS team and see what you guys can do. Absolutely,
1: it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and uh, I hope you're ex- you're as excited as I am for next year.
0: Absolutely. Hey, James, have a fantastic off season, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you.